It is good to be here this morning. Um, just got back a week ago from Guyana and South, South America and had a great time in the Lord. Um, experienced the heat like never before. It was extremely hot down there when we got back. We sweated all the way home and sweated the whole time we were down there. When we got back and walked off the plane to 37 degrees in Oklahoma City and it was like, wow, what a difference. But I praise God that he is here, that his presence is here. And no matter where we go, his presence is there with us. When Bishop first asked me about speaking today, he asked me to do some teaching on personal devotions. Now, people have came up to me this morning and said, we're excited to get to hear you preach. Well, I'm not preaching this morning, I'm teaching. And my assigned topic was doing personal devotions. And when Bishop Stewart first asked me about that, I, I, my first response was, I don't think I'm the best choice for that. Because here's the reality, I struggle with doing devotions. Does anybody admit to that? I, I struggle with it. And I told him, I looked at him and I said, I don't mean to say I don't have a devotional life or that I'm not devoted to God, but I struggle with the idea of doing devotions. And it has been a struggle for me for most of my life. Now, the reality is we know that we need to do that. And it's been taught that we need to do that. We've even had classes on how to do that. But the practicality of putting it into practice is sometimes a hard thing to do. And one of the things as a pastor that just really bugs me is when somebody comes to me and says, well, it's time for me to change churches because I'm just not being fed anymore. Have you ever heard that kind of excuse? You want to say, look, if you're only being fed on Sundays, which is the only time you ever come to church, if you're only being fed on Sundays, you're going to starve to death anyway, and you're not going to be getting fed because you're not going to get the nourishment that you need because it needs to be a daily basis. And when I understand that, and I teach my people that, I also recognize that for me, it needs to be on a daily basis. So let's pray, and then I want to get into this and just ask God to instruct us and remind us of some things and to help us learn and to overcome the challenges. Father, I thank you for your word, which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and that your word comes to us daily. I thank you that you send your word and you heal. I thank you that you give your word to us to teach us and to instruct us in the ways of righteousness and to convince us and to convict us when we are wrong. God, I thank you for your word. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll just anoint our ears to hear today those things that we need to hear. And God, don't just challenge us again. I get so tired of being challenged because, God, when I'm only challenged, I don't have to do anything about it. So, God, I pray that you'll change me by your word this morning. Change me by your spirit. And, God, I thank you for that, and I give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when we start talking about daily devotions and, and doing some things on a daily basis, we understand that that's necessary for everybody. But sometimes we as pastors get so caught up in doing the work of ministry and preparing our Bible studies and preparing our sermons that one of the things that ne- get neglected is seeking God for our own personal life or for the life of our family. And as I was studying about this and thinking about it, I thought, I'm not the one to do this because I struggle with this. But we talked a little bit more about the idea of personal devotions. And, and I spent time in prayer. And I said, I do spend time in the Word for myself. Um, so I finally told him yes. But because where I'm at in life, I thought, okay, I've got to figure out some stuff. And, and I'm going to be teaching. So I've got to get all the right scriptures and get the right things. So I started looking up all kinds of stuff and looking up personal devotions online. And, and I decided I'm just more guilty than I ever was before. <laughs> 
But I do seek God for myself, and I do seek God for my family. The Holy Spirit enables us to do that. Now, there's been quite a debate in recent times about, as ministers, whether we get our sermons out of where we are in life and out of our devotions, and then we develop our sermons out of that. And there's something to be said for that. There's something good about that. Because if it doesn't impact us first, it's never going to impact the people to whom we are ministering. But here's the reality. If I'm preaching to my people right where I am, then I'm not leading them because some of them are going to be ahead of me and going to lead me. Are you following me? So I preach out of where I have been, not necessarily where I am at the moment. And so I discovered something, too, that where I'm at in life is not necessarily the same place where my people are in life. And so I seek God for the sermons that my congregation needs where they are. Are you following me? Now, I'm not a big football fan. I just never have been. But last Sunday, in Stillwater, there were certain things that you had to deal with and address that didn't affect me personally, but affected my congregation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are smiling and saying, yeah, okay. So I have to seek God for what my congregation needs, but I've also discovered that there are places where I'm at in life with my son that I need God to show me where I'm at. So sometimes they overlap, but sometimes they're not quite the same. And so when I started looking at that, I realized that daily I've got to have a relationship with God in my own personal life. There's three scriptures there that God just pointed out to me of reasons why daily it's necessary. Psalm 56, verses 1 and 2 says, Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Have you ever been there? As a pastor, as a minister, men will swallow you up. The fighting daily oppresses me. My enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me almost high. How many times are somebody fighting you? It's not just a weekly basis, but it is a daily basis. When I got saved, I found out something. I entered into warfare, not just a game. There's somebody trying to kill me every day. Second scripture, Psalm 61, 8. I will sing praise unto your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. Here's one of the things I discovered. If I'm not having a devotional time with God every day, the things that I have promised to do, I'm never going to be able to accomplish. The third one. Psalm 68, 19, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. If I have to wait to get to a church someplace, if I have to wait to get to a camp meeting, for God to bless me and to load me with his benefits, I'm going to be hurting. So daily I've come to the conclusion I've got to have a devotional time with him. So I finally agreed with Bishop to share my personal life of devotions as compared to my professional life as a pastor. Now, I can tell you how I prepare sermons. I can tell you how I work with other people. I can tell you how I look up um, things to put on the screen and all that kind of stuff. But that's different than what I do in my personal daily devotional life. As I started thinking about it and looking at all the different things, one of the interviews I listened to was with Pastor Steve Furtick. Um, If you don't know who that is, he pastors Elevate Church, one of the largest churches in the United States. And the question was asked of him, having a congregation of more than 20,000 people, how do you find time to maintain your personal devotion life with God and your personal relationship and still take care of all those other things? And he said something in that interview that as I listened to it, I thought, I, I, I kind of struggle with that. Because he said, I try not to have a difference in the two. 
I have my personal life and my professional life. It's all the same. And, and so out of what I'm learning, I'm preaching. And what I'm preaching, I'm learning. And, and so it kind of all merges together. Now, when I listened to him, I thought, well, I can kind of see some of those things. But there also needs to be a time that's just for me and God, not just seeking for my church. But then he said something very powerful. He said this, I try to always live higher than what I preach. And I thought, we need to do that. But if I'm going to live higher than what I preach, then that means I've got to spend time personally with God, asking God for how my life is to be impacted and what I'm supposed to be doing and where I'm at. Now, Bishop Cheryl always talks about three churches. If you're a pastor, they should be pastoring three churches. First one is the church in your... Come on, you guys heard him say this. The church in your heart. The second is the church in your home. And the third is the church in your community. And you'll never be able to effectively pastor the church in your community until you effectively pastor the church in your home. And you'll never effectively pastor the church in your home until you deal with the church in your heart. So that's the part I want to talk to you about today. Now, I've been a Christian for a long time and have been taught about maintaining a personal devotion as long as I can remember. I remember going way back to junior camp when I was a kid in junior camp and they'd give us little booklets to teach us how to do personal devotions and you had all these questions and you could read your scriptures and and do all these different things and they talked about the importance of that And, and I thought, great, I've been doing that, I've been hearing about it all my life and it has been a consistent struggle. But let me share my background with you just a little bit because we had church in the home. Um, my background, I thought, was what every normal Christian family did. And it wasn't until I became a pastor that I found out that was not necessarily the case. Now, let me go all the way back to my parents when I was just a little kid. Before I ever started school, I remember waking up early in the morning and going into the kitchen where my mom and dad were sitting at the table before my dad went to work. And they were sitting there reading the word and praying together. And I'd go in and sit down and ask what was for breakfast. And my mom would say, it's not time to get up yet. Go back to bed. And I think, but I'm awake. And they said, well, this is our... And and I remember them making this statement to me. This is our time. You need to go back to bed and let us have our time. And from the time I was little, I remember my mom and dad taking time every day to read the word together and to pray together. Now, as they got older... Up until my dad died, it wasn't necessarily in the morning because they were retired and they didn't get up at 6 in the morning. But they always found time in the mornings. They would sit together at the kitchen table and read the word and pray together. And I asked them one time, don't you ever get tired of just praying with each other? And they said, that's what builds unity and intimacy in our relationship. I thought, wow, okay. So I grew up learning that prayer life is not just something that you do, but it's supposed to be also part of your home life. And so when I started dating, I didn't finish dates with a goodnight kiss. I always finished a date with praying with the young lady and then sending on her way before I went home. And sometimes they looked at me like, you're just weird and you were just strange. But that was my background. Then, as we got a little bit older, before we went to school, every morning, so my mom and dad prayed and read the word together in the mornings before dad went to work. Then before we went to school, we had family devotions where we not only prayed over the breakfast meal, that took place when we got ready to eat, but then before we went to school, we had to read scripture and pray as a family. And it didn't matter how late we were running, 
When I was a teenager, it was like I had to get to school because the girls were there and because all the stuff was there. And it didn't matter because you were going to have family devotions. If you were an hour late getting to school, you were going to do that before you did anything else. And so I grew up, that was my background. Then we prayed over our meals. And then in the evening time, our family would get together. And, and after, you know, the evening homework and all that kind of stuff, my family would be called together into the living room or into my parents' bedroom usually, but it's usually the living room, where we were expected to kneel down and mom or dad would quote a scripture and then we would pray. And sometimes they had us pray conversationally and sometimes we all prayed at once and sometimes mom would pray and I'd sit there thinking, okay, is she ever going to get done? But we had family prayer time. Then we'd go to bed. And after we got into bed, every night, as long as I lived at home, my mother or my father, one, would come to my bedroom, come into my room, sit down on the edge of my bed and say, what's going on in life and what's happening with you and what's God dealing with you about? And then they would pray a prayer of blessing over me. That happened every night for us individually. So when I started looking at that, if you ask me what our devotion life was like growing up, I wouldn't know how to describe it. Was it what we did in the morning before we went to school? Or was it what we did at night before as we were going to bed? What was the devotional time? And I thought that was just what normal Christians did. And I found out later that even a lot of pastors never take time to actually pray with their spouse. And I thought, no wonder the church is in the shape that it's in. We've got to get back to the place where we are daily in his presence. So if you ask me about personal devotion time and how to do devotions, I I wouldn't know what to tell you. But when I got to college, I realized something very quickly. Mom and dad were not there. And I had to figure out how to do devotions on my own. And I heard all kinds of stuff, and I went back to camp and all those things that they'd given us. And I thought, okay, how do I do this? I've got to start learning how to do this. And so I started trying to develop my own devotion time. And going to Cal State University, um, with all the secularism that was there, I realized real fast that I had to have something to develop my own personal relationship with God because my faith was constantly being challenged. Now, later I went to ORU, Christian University, and there I found out there was a lot of people who just floated through life devotionally because we had Bible class, we had chapel, we had all those kinds of things, and they never learned to do that for a personal basis. So I said, okay, God, I've got to do this. And so I started thinking, okay, what's the important time of doing devotions? Have you ever done devotions? And Larry Lee came to town, and he talked about spending an hour with God. And then I had a professor talk about the importance of doing your devotions in the morning. Because if you don't do them in the morning, you're never going to get them done. And so you've got to have your devotions in the morning. And I need to take at least 45 minutes to an hour. And if it means you need to get up an hour early, you need to do that. And so the legalistic reproach of, of doing morning devotions became something that was burned into me. And it was drilled into me. And I had all kinds of scriptures given to me. Let me give you some of the evidence for our early morning devotions. Mark chapter 1, verse number 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, Jesus departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed. If Jesus isn't good enough example, Genesis 19.27, Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord to seek his face. Genesis 28.18, Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it and worshiped the Lord. 
Exodus 24, 4. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning at the time to build an altar to worship God. And I can keep going with example after example of people who got up early in the morning because it was drilled into me. You got to do your devotions in the morning. It's what God expects. And if you don't do devotions in the morning, then you're just not the kind of Christian you're supposed to be. So I would get up early and I'd try to read a few scriptures and then I'd pray and I'd fall asleep. And then I'd feel guilty for the rest of the day. Are you following me? And I thought, I've got to learn to do this. It's just that I'm not disciplined. I just must not be a disciplined person because I've got to do devotions in the morning. There's evidence for it. There's biblical evidence. And I'm reading one day, feeling guilty, saying, okay, God, I've got to get caught up. And I read something else. And I started reading, and I'm thinking, uh-oh. Because Luke 6, 12 through 13 says, It came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray, and continued all night in prayer. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. Then Matthew 14. Immediately Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone, praying and seeking God. About the fourth night of the watch, fourth watch of the night, he goes to them, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, Jesus, I thought you communed with the Father in the mornings. What's this nighttime stuff? And so I decided, okay, maybe I'm supposed to do it at night. But God, there's got to be other evidence for that, because I got evidence people do it in the morning. What about this night stuff? And so I, I found another scripture, Daniel nine twenty one. Yet while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And I'm thinking, okay, Daniel did his devotions at night. Jesus was praying at night. So am I supposed to do my devotions in the morning? Am I supposed to do my devotions at night? And I came to this conclusion, I'm supposed to do devotions. Whether it's in the morning or whether it's at night, I need to be doing devotions. And so... I've thought, okay, as long as I do it at night, I'll be good because I'm not a morning person. You know, it takes me a while to wake up in the morning. I, I'm, I'm not a morning person. I, I don't like people in the morning. I, I just, you know. So I can do it at night. And then I found out what some of my teachers and professors had said, that if you try and wait to do it in the evening, things get caught up and then things get pushed aside and real often you don't get around to doing it until you're about ready to fall asleep at night and you're thinking, oh, wait a minute, what do I got to do? And so I'm thinking, God, you got to help me here. So I started reading scripture again and, and preparing for a sermon and I came across some other scriptures that really kind of bugged me. Psalm fifty-five, seventeen. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Psalm 92, 2. He'll show forth his loving kindness in the morning and his faithfulness every night. In Joshua 1, 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that you may do all that is contained therein. Then your way will be made prosperous, and you shall have good success. And so now I've got all these scriptures that says I'm supposed to be doing it in the morning, and I'm supposed to be doing it at noon, and I'm supposed to be doing it at night, and, and I'm supposed to have, constantly have it in me. And I'm thinking, how do you do that? And, th- and then I heard a guy teaching that just really bugged me. And, and, and he made a statement that still bugs me to this day. 
He said, we as evangelical Christians, now listen to this, we as evangelical Christians rely too much on the scripture. My first reaction is what most of you just had. Ooh, watch out. And then I started listening to what he had to say, and he said, we get so legalistically caught up, and I've got to read the scripture that I think my relationship with God is based upon have I done my duty to read the Bible every day the way that I'm supposed to. And I remember the times that I had gone through, how many times have I read the Bible all the way through because legalistically I was doing my devotions and I had to check it off and I had to have that scripture in me every day. And I started thinking, now how much have I actually read simply to say I've read it and not gotten anything out of it? This preacher went on to say, we rely too much on the scripture for our relationship with God instead of our relationship with God to help us understand the scripture. Do you hear what I just said? And then I was reminded of a philosophy professor I had at Cal State who had memorized the entire New Testament and was an atheist. You say, how does that happen? Hebrews says that they read the word, but it accomplished nothing because they added no faith to it. And as that guy irritated me, saying we depend too much on the word, on the scripture, instead of our relationship with God, I started thinking to myself, how many times have I thought I've done my duty because I have read the word, but I haven't fellowshiped with God, even in the word. And so my devotion life needs to be more than just about reading the word and doing those kinds of things. Is the word important? Absolutely. Do I live my life based upon the word? Absolutely. But if all I'm ever doing is trying to memorize more and more scripture, then I'm missing out on something important because God is a real person, a real entity that wants to have a relationship with me. I've also heard all my life that the Bible has every answer to every question that you have until I found out it really doesn't. Uh Uh-oh, some of you are looking at me like, what? It really doesn't. I was needing to buy a new computer. Do do I buy an Apple? Or or do do I buy a PC? Let's see, where does it say? God says Apple is... That's personal opinion there. But I found out it doesn't tell me that. When I got ready to get married, some of you have heard this personal testimony, I'd given a prophetic word that I would know she was the one when she got ready to propose to me. Now, that's a whole other story. I can tell you about that some other time. But I had four different women try to propose to me. And is it God? Is this the one? I never found Roberta's name in the scripture. So when it tells me that the Bible has the answer for every question, I found out it doesn't. Are you following me? But my relationship with God, based upon the word, the principles for every decision I have to make is found here. But sometimes I just need God to speak to me personally about what I'm supposed to do right now. And so it becomes about a relationship with him on a regular basis. So 
what am I supposed to do as far as devotions? Am I supposed to do devotions in the morning? Am I supposed to do it at noon? Am I supposed to do it at night? And I come to this conclusion, I would rather be devoted rather than do devotions. But in my devotional life, there are four things that I need to do on a daily basis. Number one is this, spend time in praise and worship. Number two, spend delegated time in prayer. Number three, spend time listening to the Holy Spirit. And number four, studying the Word. I need to do those four things daily. But how do I put that into practice? Well, praise and worship. Psalm 34, 1 says, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 149.5, there's another scripture that I just really like this one. It says, let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. And I discovered something, that my day needs to have praise and worship involved in it. And I don't always succeed, but when I find myself beginning to grumble and complain, I often go back and ask God to put a guard on my mouth so that I speak words of exhortation and praise to build up others rather than to tear down. And sometimes the building up of others is even myself. Remember Psalm 103? David went out, and the Bible says that he spoke to himself. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. And sometimes I've got to preach to myself to start saying, it's time to worship God. It's time to praise him. And so part of that is my giving of thanks. And I discovered something that whatever I'm going to do for God, I need to learn to do for other people as well. For Ephesians tells us that serve men is the same as serving God. Serving men as if you're serving unto God. And so giving of thanks, I found out that one of the biggest things that I can do as a Christian, and one of the things that will help me most in my walk with God, is to develop a grateful attitude. Got to have a grateful attitude. So I go to the grocery store, and, and the clerk is being you know, kind of a pain in the, in the neck. You ever deal with those kind of clerks? And you deal with some of them, you just think that they're so stupid. Some of you are laughing. Stupidity bugs me. Let's just be honest. I went to a place the other day, and, and my bill came to um, $4.25. I had a $10 bill, so I, I gave the clerk $10. I said, oh, wait a minute, I got a quarter here too. And they looked at me and said, what am I supposed to do with that? And I said, give me change. And she looked at me and said, okay. So she gives me 75 cents and, and a $5 bill. And then she gives me the quarter back and says, there. And I'm thinking, <laughs> stupidity, it bugs me. And all of a sudden I heard Spoiler to God say, what are you speaking on? Yeah. <laughs> Worship, praise. Give thanks. But she's stupid. <laughs> and God dealt with me again. I was like, okay. And so I just kind of looked at her and said, thank you. Can I show you something? And, and she said, well, I already put it in the computer. I don't know if I can do that. I said, okay, well, whatever. You've got to do it however you do it. And I looked at her and I said, just thank you. Thank you for serving me and, and putting up with my idiosyncrasies. And she just kind of smiled and said, it's nice to have some people say thank you once in a while. And I walked out thinking. And as I was walking out, someone was like, Pastor Alden, how are you today? And I thought, oh, Lord, help us. But you see, Thanksgiving, 
I could have been very rude and, and talked about how stupid she was and tried to, but a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of praise opens up the doors for you to be able to minister to other people. But that's something God has to deal with me personally about. I find myself singing. What is praise and worship? It's not just a matter of how you sing or how you play. Now, I play the piano and I play the guitar, and so once in a while I'll pick up a guitar and I'll just take a few moments just to sing and worship God, or I'll sit at the piano and I'll just begin to sing and praise God and worship God. But I also found out that God can put a song in my heart on a regular basis. My son gets irritated with me. He's 16, so that's normal. But one of the things he looks at me and says, you've got a song for everything. Like, Why? Why do you, every topic that comes up, you start singing something. I said, it's because God gives a song in our heart. And I've got something to sing about. And he said, yeah, I know, Dad, but sometimes your songs just are from so far back that nobody's ever heard of them. And I said, that's okay. It's out of my heart. And what he doesn't know, sometimes I just make up a song, too, just because, <laughs> because God gives us a song in the night. But I've discovered something. That sometime during the day, I need to spend time worshiping God. And if it's not in singing or making a joyful noise, sometimes it's in my serving. And sometimes I need to serve somebody, not for the recognition of, look what I've done. Not because I'm pastor, but simply because it's part of my worship to God to minister to other people and reach out and serve them. Second thing that I need to do on a daily basis is spend devoted time in prayer. Now... We have a young man that started coming to our church a couple of years ago. He was a student at OSU, and he was from Iran. And, and he came to me, and, and he started coming to church. And he asked me one day, he said, something's different about here. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, I've gone to different churches because I wanted to experience American culture. And I said, okay. And he said, but there's something different here. I've been to a Catholic church. I've been to a Methodist church. But there's something different about this church. I said, Okay. And he said, I only found it one other place. He said, I was visiting some friends in California, and I felt the same thing at their church that I felt here. I said, well, what was it? He said, well, I looked at them, and, and I asked him, where can you find this? And he said, just go home and Google Pentecostal churches, and you'll find it. Well, ours was the first name that came up. So he said, there's something different about this place. And so he kept coming and, and, and listening and hearing, and, and, and he would call me and, and he'd talk to me about different things. And, and he would say, you were preaching on vices and sins. He looked at me one day and he said, and you're fat. <laughs> yeah. And he said, is that a vice? I said, well, I, <laughs> it's something I need to deal with. Are you following me? And he said, well, does God care? I said, yes, God cares about all the sins in our life. And somebody said, well, you need to get him prayed through. You need to get him to accept the Lord. And I said, just let God deal with him. And he came for about four months, and he called me and said, I need to make an appointment with you. And I said, okay. His dad is a leader in Iran and a um, big businessman and from a devout Muslim family. And he came to me, and he said, I've decided it's time. And I said, it's time for what? And he looked at me and he said, you've been talking about Jesus. I've decided I need to have a personal relationship with this person called Jesus that you're talking about. And then he looked at me and said, but what's going to happen when I do? I looked at him and said, I don't know. 
from your family background and all those kinds of things? I have no idea what will happen. Will you be rejected? But he said, oh, I've already understood all that. I'll never get to go home. I'll never see my family again. I will be totally cut off. The, the woman I'm supposed to, be, to marry will, will be completely removed. And he said, but there's something in Scripture that as I read the Word and as, and as I read the Bible... Jesus came to me in a dream and said, you need to accept me. And he said, I've decided it's time, but I want to know what happens when I do that. And I said, well, what are you talking about? And he said, well, do I have to bow and kneel a certain place and and face a certain way? No. He said, do I have to pray so many times a day? And I said, well, what do you think? And he said, well, I think God's supposed to live inside of me. And if God lives inside of me, why can't I just pray to him all the time, wherever I am, and just constantly be in prayer and constantly communicate with him? And I said, would you please teach the people in our church that? (laughs) And so I prayed with him to accept the Lord, and this glorious change came over him. Got ready to baptize him, and, and he told the people, he said, something is different here, something powerful, something new. He said, it was really, this is like my birthday because I'm a new person. I am totally different. And he looked at me and said, but you know, it is so neat. I get to talk to God all day long. In the middle of class, sometimes I just kind of whisper, God, help me with this. I'll tell you all kinds of other things about what happened with him, how God blessed him and, and encouraged him and made a difference even in his family, how God opened up the right door for him to be able to be able to stay in the country and do all those things because his family position, he, if he had gone back to Iran, he said they would kill me. He said, in fact, my dad's already put, told me and called me and said, they've got people looking for you now, so just watch your back because there are people who are looking to kill you because you have decided to defect the United States. But he said, there's something special about wherever I'm at, I can pray. So I find myself praying on a regular basis throughout the day. I had someone tell me about prayer that is, you can talk to God just like you do a friend. And when I'm out with friends, I often ask their opinion on things or what they might want to do. For instance, after church, where do you guys want to go have lunch? I don't care. Okay, let's go to McDonald's. And they look at me like, no, you're an idiot. No, we're not going... But, you know, I find myself talking to God the same way, and he never tells me I don't care and then tells me I'm an idiot on what I decide. Some of you just caught that. Some of your wives are supposed to submit to your husband as under the Lord. If he says he wants to go to McDonald's, don't tell him you don't care. He's praying to you. He's asking you. So I've discovered I pray throughout the day. And I find myself praying when I'm not even thinking about it just because the presence of God is there. So I'm asking God on his opinion about this and his opinion about that. And and I find myself sometimes even in conversations with people saying, God, how am I supposed to answer them? How am I supposed to answer this? And he knows how to answer me. I was out on a date one time and this young lady looked at me and she said, are we ever going to get to go on a date alone? I said, what do you mean? We're alone now. And she said, no, we're not. I said, what do you mean? She said, you're just weird. I said, what are you talking about? And she said, it's the two of us, we're out, and all of a sudden, you just ask God something. You just stop and say, God, what are we supposed to do here? And then you actually act like he's going to answer you. Are we ever going to get to go on a date by ourselves? And I said, I hope not. (laughs) 
because God is with me regularly. But I also found out 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy chapter 2 says we're supposed to pray for those who are in authority over us, for kings. For those that are in authority that I might lead a quiet and peaceful life in all honesty and godliness. And so there are times that I just need to set myself down and say, okay, God, I'm taking this time to pray for you because there's things on my list that I may not run up against throughout my day if I don't take time to pray for it right now. I may forget about praying for President Trump as I'm going through my day because he's not a big part of my personal life. But God says to pray for him. Now, I pray for my son regularly and sometimes throughout the day. Because it's a personal part that impacts me. But there's other things that I need to be praying for. That God says to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. He tells me personally that I'm supposed to pray for these various things. So I need to set some time during the day to simply pray. But the third thing is, I've got to practice listening to his word. Listening to him speak to me. I have learned so much about my relationship with God since I've had a son. My son has been a prayer warrior from the time he was little. He knows how to pray. I remember when we were, he was about five or six, we were driving down the street, and he said, Dad, stop, stop. I said, why? And he said, we need to go back and pray for that lady over there. I said, what lady where? He said, that lady on the corner we just passed. She's got that sign out, work for food or needs food. We need to go back and pray for her. And I said, Son, you think you need to pray for her? And he said, somebody needs to pray for her. And I said, well, pray for her. And he said, no, we need to go pray for her. And I said, okay. So I went around the block and I said, you go do it. So he gets out of the car. He's about five, maybe six. And he gets up and goes to her and, and she says, hi. And he says, hi. I don't have anything to give you, but I'm supposed to pray for you. Can I pray for you? And I watched this interaction with this five-year-old kid and this woman and tears started coming down her eyes, and she said, yeah, I need that more than anything. And so Pierce reached over and took her by the hand and just began to pray for God to meet all of her needs. And there was an impact, and she looked at me, and she said, this is your son? I said, yeah. And she said, thank you for teaching him right. She said, that's why I just need this. I felt like I don't have anybody to pray for me anymore. And started telling the story about her mom had died and how her grandma had prayed for her and they had died. And there was nobody praying for her anymore. And then there was other things that he would say at that age. And, and I asked him one time, I said, Pierce, how do you know what to pray for? And he said something that changed my prayer life. He made this statement to me. He said, Dad, pray what you see. I said, what do you mean, pray what you see? And he said, just look, God will point out people that you're supposed to pray for. And all of a sudden, my mind went back to the scripture where Jesus said, lift up your eyes, for the harvest is ripe. But the laborers are few. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field. And I thought, God, I've got to be praying on a regular basis, delegated time. But I also just need to have my eyes open to see people that need prayer. It's part of my life, not just as a pastor, but as my devotional time with God to spend time in prayer. I was at a restaurant one day, and I had asked this young lady all of a sudden. I, just, I looked at her, and she just had this look about her that something was not quite right. And I said, well, when you bring our food in a few minutes, we're going to pray over our food. 
And as we're praying, is there something I can pray for you about? And she looked at me and said, well, huh? And I said, we're going to be praying over our food. Is there something I can pray for you about? And she said, really? I said, yeah. And she began to tell me about stuff that she was struggling with and and just things in her family and that she'd grown up in a pastor's home and her parents had ended up getting divorced and there's all kinds of things and, and how she'd had all these issues. And, and she said, yeah, would you please just pray? And so I sit and prayed for her. When we got ready to leave, she said, you know, I've always waited tables on Sundays and I've never, ever had anybody ask me if they could pray for me. She said, I've waited in the same restaurant every Sunday for the past, I think she said, seven months. And I've had people invite me to the church. I've told them they need to come to my, that I need to go to their church. But I've never once asked anybody, had anybody ask me if they could pray for me. And I thought, God, if my devotional life is supposed to be about prayer, show me where to pray and when to pray and how to pray because there are people who need prayer. But then I also have to stop and listen. And so I take time sometimes just to say, God, speak to me. John chapter 10, verse number 4 tells us, when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. God still speaks to us today. I'll tell you another story about my son, Pierce. When he was three, he accepted Jesus as personal Savior. I'd gone home one day, and he had been, Aunt Ruth was staying with him, and I asked him how his day went, and she had already told me she'd given him a spanking, and I was like, okay, well, what happened? And So I asked him, how was your day? And he said, it's good. I said, well, what happened today? And he said, I played with my trucks. I played with my whatever. I asked Jesus into my heart. I got a spanking. I was like, wait a minute, back up. What you get a spanking for? And he told me what he got a spanking for. And I said, well, what's this about asking Jesus in your heart? And he was watching Gospel Bill, and he said, when the deputy, whatever his name was, came on, and said, you want to pray with us to ask Jesus into your life? I said, well, what happened? He said, he's in there. I said, how do you know? And he said, he tickled when he came in. I said, okay. I thought, three years old, does he really understand? And, and people said, they can't understand. But we were in the grocery store about a week later, and he was acting up and I said, Pierce, if you don't stop it, I'm going to give you a spank. And he said, but Daddy, Jesus died on the cross. And I said, I know. But if you don't stop doing that, you're going to get spanking. But Daddy, Jesus died on the cross. I said, yeah, whatever. And I went on about my business. And a little bit later, he was doing I said, if you don't stop it, I'm telling him this is your last warning. If you don't stop, you're going to get a spanking. He said, Daddy, Jesus died on the cross. I'm forgiven. <laughs> I thought... Yeah, he understands. <laughs> but he started talking to me about God speaking to him. And I said, how do you know it's God speaking to you? He said, he tickles on the inside. And he was three. We were driving, driving down the road, and he looked at me. He was in the back seat and said, Daddy, Daddy, pray for Papa Don. Pray for Papa Don. And I said, Papa Don was, when we lived in Paul's Valley, was the husband of the lady who babysat him. And I said, for what? And he said, just pray for Papa. I said, Pierce, you pray for Papa Don. So as a three-year-old, he just started praying, God, don't let Papa Don be scared anymore. Don't let him be scared anymore. Make him okay. No more scared, God. No more scared. And then I heard him yell, no more scared. Jesus, help him. No more scared. 
And I thought, okay. And then a little bit later, he looked at me and said, he's okay now. I thought, what was that about? What was that about? So we got home later, and I called the lady that babysat him. I said, what's going on with Don? And she said, why? And I told her the story, and she said, are you serious? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, at that point in time, Don had had a heart attack, and they were putting him in the ambulance. And we were scared what was going to happen. Is he going to survive? Is he going to make it? Is he going to? And I thought, wow. A few months later, Pierce did this thing to me again. Dad, pray for Papa. Pray for Papa, my dad. I said, Pierce, if God's telling you you need to pray for him, you need to pray for him. So he just prayed. God, help him stop spinning. Help him stop going round and round. Help him stop going round and round. No more spinning round and round. No more spinning. No more spinning. Okay, he's okay now. And I thought, what was that? So I'm talking to my parents later, and I said, what's going on? She said, Dad had some kind of dizzy spell out in the parking lot this morning. And he was walking to the church, and all of a sudden, he just started spinning like a top until he actually fell down. And then the dizziness lifted. I thought, hmm, if a three-year-old and a five-year-old can hear from the voice of God, why do we stop hearing it? And we stop hearing sometimes because we're told you're crazy. Because we're told you're hearing things. And so we learn to turn off the voice of God because it's just our imagination or it's just something else going on. But I've discovered on a daily basis, I need to stop and say, God, what are you speaking to me personally? What are you telling me? And I discovered that he will speak to me about where I'm at at the moment. Sometimes it's theologically profound. Sometimes it's things just to to help me. One time it was, he left your lights on in the car. I'm trying to pray, and I'm trying to ask God to for intercession to tell me about the church. And I kept hearing, you left your lights on in the car. And I'm thinking, devil, shut up. And finally, I couldn't get it out of my head. So I just went out, turned the lights off the car, and then came back in and was able to keep praying. And I discovered something. Sometimes when I think it's the devil trying to interrupt us, God actually trying to speak to me. But I discovered something about hearing the voice of God. I've got to be willing to obey when I hear and he doesn't have to tell me anything new until I'm walking in obedience to what he has already said if you listen to God he'll speak to us and guide us but it's so hard sometimes to take time just to listen because when I'm trying to do it at home the phone will ring or something will happen, or somebody will call, or somebody will stop by. If I try to do it at the office, invariably, something goes wrong. So I found out that I've got to take times where I'm willing to just shut off the phone, shut off the television, shut off the computer, close my door, and say, God, I've got to hear from you. And he begins to speak to me. And if I'll let him, he'll speak to me daily. But then I also found out that I need to spend time in the Word And God, through Scripture, begins to speak to us in various ways. Throughout Scripture, you find God speaking to people in dreams and in visions. Sometimes he spoke to them audibly, but he always speaks to them. But I found out the devil will speak to you too. So I go back to, does it line up with the Word? And if I don't study the Word, and I don't put the Word into my heart, and I don't let the Word become my lifeline... I can get deceived and under weird things. 
I was at a church and I had a lady come to me and said, you need to talk to my pastor. And I said, why? And she said, because God's given me a word and he won't let me give it to the church. He said, it's not from God. And so he won't let me give it. And I looked at her and said, well, what's the word? And so she told me what she thought that God had spoken to her. And I said, well, ma'am, I wouldn't let you give that either. She said, well, why not? And I said, because it doesn't line up with scripture. It's contradictory to scripture. She said, took the Bible and threw it down and said, I don't know what that book says, but I know what the Spirit says. And I thought, okay, you're in danger. Because I don't think it's the Holy Spirit you're listening to. So I found out I've got to put the word inside of me. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The pri- Bible has to be my primary source for correction and for reproof and for instruction. The Holy Spirit will convict me, but he always comes back to the Word. And what does the Word say? And so I've got to put the Word inside me on a regular basis. Now, there are some good ways of doing that. Reading through the Bible every year is a good thing. But sometimes I just need to stop and say, it's not a matter of how many chapters I get through today. But God, what are you speaking to me? I I started doing a study one time, and and for several months I did this. Because somebody challenged me and said, did you know that in every chapter of the New Testament, there is at least a promise to be claimed, a warning to be heeded, or a command to be followed. And I said, God, I want to be changed. So I started looking at Scripture, and I started just studying chapter by chapter, one chapter a day, saying, God, what is it that you're commanding me to do? Or what is it that you're giving me as a promise that I need to start claiming? Or what is it that I, you're warning me about that I need to take heed to? And you know, I found out there's all kinds of things that God tells me I'm supposed to do that I sometimes ignore and forget. That your words always be seasoned with salt. Oh, wait a minute. Out of the same mouth come forth blessing and cursings. My brother, this should not be. Oh, wait a minute. That's warning. Am I speaking curses or am I speaking blessings? And so I've started over the years learning to, I need to put the word into me. So I tried the pick and poke method. Pick up the Bible, poke my finger and say, okay, God, what are you saying to me? And that doesn't always work. But I found out if I have a program study, are you following me? God knows how to speak to me through that program study. So sometimes I'll use the Bible in the year. Sometimes I'll use a devotional book, depending on what I'm doing that year. This year... I'm doing a devotional book and I'm reading the scriptures and and reading the stories that go along with it. And almost daily, something out of that, God will speak to me about where I'm at. And sometimes it's not even what the guy in the devotional book is talking about, but as I'm reading the scripture, God pinpoints something in my own heart. So I found out I have to study it. Psalm 1, 1 and 2 says, In this law he meditates day and night. So then he becomes like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in the right season, and his leaves shall not fade. And whatever he sets his hand to shall prosper. Joshua 1.8 says, Don't let the law depart out of your mouth, but meditate therein day and night, that you may do all that is obtained therein. Then your way shall be made successful. You'll have good success, and your way will be made prosperous. Psalm 119, 105, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So how do you study? You begin to put it into your heart. Meditate on it, memorize it. 
Somebody asked me, how did you get pierced to learn how to hear the voice of God? I don't know, except I can tell you this. We had family devotions from the time he came home from the hospital. And we worked on memorizing scripture. Before he could read, I would just work on him memorizing scripture. By the time he got to kindergarten, he had over 250 verses that he could quote. And tell him the reference, and he could quote the verse to you. Putting the word in. I found out God begins to sound a whole lot like his word. So I listen. So my personal devotional time. Do I do devotions? I can honestly tell you I don't spend an hour every morning. So what does my day really look like? It goes back to what I learned. It's got to be not only about my own heart, but about my family. It's got to be my priority. So I deal with my son. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, bring your children up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Pierce is now 16, and he's at that age where he's not always cool to be with Dad, and he likes to hide out in his room. But you know, it doesn't go time go by that he doesn't come and say, Dad, pray for me. Dad, can we pray about this? Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto them, that your prayers are not hindered. So what does our, my life look like? Praise the Lord for my bed. Now, I'm not a morning person, but I set my alarm in the mornings to come on to praise and worship music so that when I wake up, the first thing that I'm hearing is praise and worship. And so I get up with a song in my heart. This morning I got up singing because of who you are. Not just for all the things you've done or going to do, God, but because of who you are, I choose to worship you. Then typically I'll go into my chair where I spend time in prayer and, and I'll kneel down and I'll spend 10 to 15 minutes praying for people that I promised to pray for, people that God has said to pray for. Then while Pierce is eating breakfast, I read or he reads the devotional scriptures out of the devotional book and we talk a little bit about it and then we pray and send him off to school. And then by the time I get to the office, I... I've taken another 10, 15 minutes just to read for my own personal exhortation. And then I get to the office and I deal with all the different things and somewhere around lunch I'll stop again and say, okay, God, I just got to hear from you. And sometimes I'll just get away because the office gets so busy and crazy that I'll drive to a park and I'll just sit there and look at the water or look at the leaves changing colors and say, God, you're so awesome. And I spend a little bit of time just worshiping him and then I just wait and listen. It may be only 15, 20 minutes, but I take time to do that. And then in the evening, spend time with Pierce again, and we have dinner, and we pray over at dinner, and then before he goes to bed, I do the same thing my parents did with me. I ask him about his day, what's God speaking to him, and I lay hands on him and bless him. And then I take about 30 minutes just to reflect and take time to read. Sometimes it's scripture. Sometimes it's a good book. Sometimes it's something that God has been dealing with me about. But I take time to read. And then when I crawl into bed, I say, okay, God, what was it that you spoke to me today? That my life needs to be changed. And so I do devotions. And I can tell you this. I don't do it an hour in the morning or an hour at noon or an hour in the evening. Because it's not about doing devotions. It's about being devoted. 
and when we have our personal devotional life with him, then it can impact everything else we do, our sermons, and all the other stuff that we're called on to do as pastors. That's my teaching on my sharing my personal devotions and what does it mean to have personal devotions. Do you have any questions for me? About how I do it or what I do or tell me I need to leave time for questions and answers. Anybody have any questions about what I shared or something you want to challenge or whatever? It's I mean I'm open to whatever. Nobody's got any questions. And praise God. Good then. I was actually given a prophetic word um, to give you that testimony I guess I got a couple of minutes here I can do that I I had broken up with a girl that I was engaged to and and I was like okay God I'm ready to be married and God started dealing with me about giving up my right to marriage and I said but he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And he said, yeah, but are you willing to give up your right? If I can use you more as a single person, will you give up your right to marriage? And I thought, I don't want to do that. I want to be married. I, and I kept praying about it until finally I got to the point where I said, okay, God, if you want me to give up that right, I'll give it up for you. And I was in the service, and this guy called me out, and he gave me a prophetic word, and I thought, you're crazy. He gave me a board the night before that was right on, and I knew it was God. But this night he called me out, and he said, God just told me something really weird that I've never given to anybody else. And he said, this is what God says to you. If you'll be busy about your father's service, if you'll be busy about serving God, when it's time for you to have a wife, he will bring her to you. And I said, yeah, right. The Bible says he who finds a wife, so I've got to find her. He said, God said when it's time for you to have a wife, if you'll be busy serving him, he'll bring her to you. And so I went home and I said, that guy's crazy. God, you've got to show me that everything be confirmed in two or three witnesses. So he said, well, get out your Bible. And so I started looking in the Bible. And in Genesis, he said, what was Adam doing when he got his wife? Well, he was naming the animals. He was taking care of the garden. He was doing all those kinds of things. Who decided he needed a wife? Well, God did. How did he get her? He went to sleep and he woke up and said, wow, man, there she is. I thought, oh, okay. Took him a little bit further in Genesis, talking about Abraham. And he said, what was Isaac doing when it came time for him to get a wife? So I looked at Scripture, and I thought, well, he was taking care of his father's business. He was taking care of all the stuff, and who decided he needed a wife? Well, Abraham did. Well, how did he get his wife? Abraham sent a servant over to a far country, brought her back, Isaac sees her and says, wow, there she is, and goes in the tent, and she becomes his wife. And he gave me another couple of examples. And he said, let me give you one other example. And he takes me to the book of Judges and said, who decided Samson needed a wife? And I said, Samson did. Well, how did he get her? Well, he found her. And how did that work out? I said, okay, God, I get the point. If I'll be busy about your service you'll bring me my wife and it's time for me to have her but how am I going to know she's the one get another prophetic word from this and he said this is a weird prophetic word but 
I'm just going to be obedient and give it to you. God said, when it's time for you to have a wife, he will bring her to you. And this is how you'll know she's the one. When she gets ready to propose, you'll know instantly inside of you, she's the one. Roberta and I had gone out to lunch. I had come back and just finished up my doctorate and had gone back to California. And she and I had gone out to lunch. And, and we were sitting there. And she said, Alden, let me ask you a question. It's a Bible question. And I said, okay. She said, I was reading in the book of Ruth. And I said, yeah. She said, well, she went into Boaz, and I just started laughing. And she said, why are you laughing at me? This is a serious biblical question. And I said, you don't have to do what you're getting ready to do. And she said, well, what do you think I was getting ready to do? And I said, I thought you were probably getting ready to propose. What makes you think that? And I said, because you were going to ask me about Ruth going in and telling Boaz to cover her, to put the garments of his, the skirt of his garments over her. And you're going to say, wasn't that her proposing to him? And the answer is yes. She was telling him he needs to step up and be a man and marry her. And that's what you were getting ready to tell me, wasn't it? And she said, ah. I said, you don't have to. I know how you feel about that. And when the right time comes, I'll ask you. But that's how I knew. Is when she got ready, all of a sudden, it was a biblical question. But something went off inside of me that said, she's getting ready to do this. Are you ready for it? And that's how I knew. And, and it was a God thing, and God put it together. And, but that comes from the listening and also being willing to listen to other people as they're talking. Any other questions?